Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swandingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files, where the Dango H.O. Baby. Today I have with me Sean Wyman. He's a veteran and also about to retire from the police force. 24 years so far, going on, he said, a year and a half more. Jeez, that's a long time. And how he's actually trying to help uh, first responders and veterans today with some training. Training. So how's it going today, Sean? Hey, it's doing great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Stephen. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm glad you took time out of your busy day. I know you're still busy working all the time, daughter homeschooling. So yeah, I can living only imagine the that. Living the homeschool life today. I got six kids. I ain't going to try that. I swear to God. They, <laughs> I, I have more gray hair than I have now. I already have too much. <laughs> I'm getting plenty. Trust me. <laughs> oh, you got nice black hair. What are you talking about? It looks great. Yeah, that's at least, right. At least, it ain't doing, at least it's not doing this thing right here. So yeah. hold on. Let me fix my hair real quick. There you go. There you I go. still look like crap. But today I just want to kind of go over uh, why you joined, uh, your time, your transition period to being a police officer, how easy it was or difference there is between the two, military and you know, first responder. Sure. And then uh, what you're doing now while you're getting ready to retire here soon. So okay. you can take it away with why you joined. Sure. So um, I decided to join the military. Honestly, I didn't have any other option. I really didn't, man. I was in one of those states. I wasn't in a good place where I was uh, prepared to go to college. I didn't really have a lot of guidance. Um, I grew up in foster care and group homes from the age of 10 until I was 18 and, and had a pretty traumatic past prior to that as well. So I didn't really have a lot of guidance and I really didn't have a lot of uh, direction. And uh, the military was my option because I wanted to go into law enforcement right out of high school. But that, that really wasn't a, a realistic opportunity. It was just a, a dream more than anything. And it was something that I thought I could accomplish, but very quickly figured out that that wasn't the case. I definitely wasn't ready. I, I wasn't mature enough. And I really didn't have enough knowledge and understanding and awareness to be in a position of that authority. So uh, the military became that option and uh, I joined the army. Now, what uh, what'd you join? I joined in uh, September of 92. Oh, wow. Okay, so a long time ago. Well, yeah. What what MOS or what job did you pick? So I was infantry. I went in as a, as a uh, 11 hotel, which doesn't even exist anymore, okay. uh, tow gunner, tow gunner. And um, in 94, I went to ranger school. I graduated ranger school. And um, so I got the ranger identifier. So it was 11 hotel, three victor is what I ended up being. Um, and I was a uh, squad leader and a section leader for a uh, tow platoon. Oh, nice. How many years did you end up doing all together? Um, eight years total. Oh, wow. So why, why didn't you stay in the Army and just kind of continue on? Or I, I had to make a decision. Was I going to be a father or was I going to be a soldier? My, uh, my son was born. I was stationed in Vincenza, Italy back in 96 and uh, around 98. 99 my um my ex-wife now got pregnant and um my dad left when i was born and when
when she had my son, she decided she wanted a divorce. And it really put me in a really tough spot because I was supposed to be going to Ranger Battalion in uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. And unfortunately, I had to turn the assignment down because I knew that in my heart I needed to be there for my son. Yeah, and I understand. I completely understand that family does come first. Even military, you know, the military does make it hard to put family first. So it does. I, I understand the. I, I understand then. I mean, it's noble. Um. So when you transitioned out, did you know you wanted to be a police officer right away, or did you kind of yeah. uh, look around? No, I knew. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And while I was in the military, I actually met um, a recruiter for uh, Tallahassee Police Department. And it was kind of a, hey, why don't you go ahead and put your name in and see what happens kind of thing. So, you know, I was like, okay, that makes sense. I'll, you know, I'll try it and see what happens. I had applied to a lot of different agencies because I knew I was getting out. And um, just through uh, divine intervention, if you will, I met this recruiter from TPD who was friends with a guy that I worked with. And um, long story short, man, I applied and I got accepted at my, uh, in 2000, I started the academy. So you live in Tallahassee right now? I do. You want to switch? I live in Texas. Yeah. I'll gladly switch you to Tallahassee for uh, what part, North, what part Texas. of Texas. What part of Texas are you in? Northern Texas. Okay. So not too far from Dallas, not too far from Oklahoma City, kind of right in between there and Wichita I got you. Falls. So I got you. don't get me wrong, it's nice, but eh, <laughs> I want to go to Florida now. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um. So is there anything that really stands out as uh, your 24 years as a police officer? I know you got to have some stories, but is there anything that really, truly stands out that uh, you would like people to know? Um, I would say that it's important to understand that it's really easy to bring your baggage into your profession. And uh, what I mean by that is when I started in law enforcement at the age of 27 and thought I knew everything and thought I really had a grasp on the job and things like that, what I didn't predict was that my past would come back with me and would uh, trigger me into some pretty challenging situations. And uh, so imagine, right, you're a citizen, and when you expect me to show up at my best as a law enforcement officer when you're at your worst, this is what was showing up, Stephen, just to kind of give you an example, right? So a guy who was mentally and physically abused growing up, um, at the age of 10, premeditated the murder of my stepfather and almost went through with it up to the point of execution, but never, never addressed it, never dealt with it, never got any counseling, therapy, anything like that. Ended up in foster care because of it. Um, and then from the age of 10 until I was 18, dealing with that, alcoholic started drinking heavily when I was 12 and was drinking when I started at my, uh, my law enforcement profession. Um, was recently divorced single father, $150,000 in debt. I mean, the list went on and on and on of all the baggage that I was carrying with me. And so while I was, you know, trying to get my profession going, I was getting triggered right and left by my past by with the people I was interacting with. And what I also discovered was I was triggering them as well. And I, and I began to recognize that, you know, my emotional state versus other people's emotional states and things like that that there were certain things that would set me off, and I didn't really feel like I had control over that. And it was really scary, especially when you're in law enforcement, because you have to have control. You have to be able to control yourself emotionally. You got to learn how to stay rational in highly emotional situations. 
And um, it was very challenging for me at the beginning of my career because of what I'd gone through in my past and never really dealt with. Uh, and I, I do understand that. I mean, we all have our trauma, and I don't think people realize that police officers are human. We've all got our, a past, some unfortunately more colorful than others, and they expect you just, you know, to be Mr. Pristine all the time and do make all the right calls every second of the day when – don't get me wrong, there's some fucked up people out there that you don't know what you're getting yourself into. I've taken classes in the Army uh, with, you know, Navy SEALs and um, Special Forces guys, and they showed me some of the stuff that, you know, you just aren't ready for, and there's no way to be ready for it. And it's like, you're just a human. At least you made it 24 years so far, and sure. you're about to retire, so that is, you know, commendable. So I'm proud, proud for you, and I'm glad you made it this far. You stuck it out, and yeah, clearly you're it. you're there for your daughter now. Oh yeah. So yeah, definitely, most definitely. Well, I have a daughter and a, and two sons. One that's grown up. My my first one that I just talked about earlier, and then uh, I have one now that's 15 as well. So yeah, the challenges, the struggle is real, man. For all you out there that are uh, parents of teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My oldest is 11, so I got six, and my oldest is only 11, so. It's coming. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I, got, I joke with my wife's like, I'm going to have to beat him every once in a while. I just remind him who's boss. So <laughs> he's going to be a lot bigger than me, so. Yeah. So now, so what led you – okay, so you went through your past trauma. You're a police officer. Um, now you're doing this, tra- this mental health training and stuff like that. How did you get, How did you get into that? So that's a great question. So like I said, I began to realize that I was on a path to self-destruction and I was going to lose my career if I didn't do something, if I didn't go back and and deal with my past. So that's exactly what I did, man. I went back. I addressed the things that I hadn't addressed. I forgave my mom for things that happened many, many, many years ago that I've been holding against her. Um, I forgave my stepfather for all the evil things that he had done to me. And I just really began to clarify my past and try to clear you don't forget it right I don't ever want people to think you forget it but you find a way that you can move forward from it and 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 leave it in a certain place where even if it triggers you you recognize that it's triggering you and you realize that it's not that big a deal because you've already addressed it so once I learned that I wrote a book my first book it was called let go of the movement process and it kind of discussed my past and more importantly, the the process that I went through that helped me to move forward from it. And when I did that, it started opening doors. I started doing speaking engagements to like social workers and foster care and all those types of organizations. And I started hearing about this thing called trauma-informed care. And people were just talking about it and making a big deal about it and talking about how they were trauma-informed and this and that. And I started doing my research and learning and studying and I've been a trainer in law enforcement, high liability topics for a long time in firearms, defensive tactics, all those kinds of things. Right. So as a trainer, it piqued my curiosity because I'd never thought about we always think about high liabilities as physical things, things we can see, things we can understand, things we can recognize. But we never really talk about the mental aspect of our job. It was never really a big part of the training, if you will. And I began to realize you know, and I started, especially in Florida, man, we had one of the highest suicide rates in the country, as well as Texas. Texas and Florida are usually neck and neck in the top five every single year for the last six, seven years now when it comes to law enforcement suicide. 
And I realized that it wasn't changing. And I, I began to question why. And when I realized the problem, I realized I didn't want to be one of those guys that just said, hey, I see this problem. Somebody needs to do something about it. I decided I wanted to do something about it. So I started uh, working on this trauma-informed aspect, if you will, and trying to figure out how, to, how it could be implemented into law enforcement, into training, into policy and procedure, into field training, all the different aspects, right? And uh, came up with this kind of pre-escalation protocol to surviving the mental ambush because we trained so well to survive the physical ambush. I wanted to teach how to pre-escalate and be ready for the mental ambush before it comes. Okay. And that's, uh, I mean, I don't think anybody really, I don't think anybody really thought about that part before, like before it comes, mm-hmm. the, mental, the mental ambush. Um, we're just so used to just reacting. And a lot of times it's already too late by that point. You're right. And think about the military, Stephen, right? In the military, we learned how to survive the ambush before we ever, we, before we even trained to go out and practice an ambush, we did it on a drawing board in a classroom. And then we went out in the field next to the classroom. And then we put on all our miles gear. I might be dating myself, right? But we put no. on our laser tag gear, right? And we went out into the woods and we, we practiced being the good guys and the bad guys. And we practiced if there was contact to the front or contact to the rear, or contact in the middle. So when that moment came in the real world and somebody yelled, contact front, contact front, we knew exactly what to do and we had a much higher survivability rate in those ambush moments because we were prepared right and, and i have a philosophy about that that preparation leads to preservation and procrastination leads to devastation and so it's important that we prepare for these things especially now that we know look if you're in law enforcement if you're a firefighter if you're a paramedic if you are any public safety field corrections officer dispatcher if you're a veteran, a military, any anybody in the military, you're going to get attacked in a mental way, one way or another, at some point in your career and in your personal life as well. And it may even happen on two fronts. So understanding what that attack looks like so you can recognize it when it happens, you know, realize it when it happens so that you can have a good response, have proper response mechanisms in place. Maybe that's a counselor. Maybe that's a phone call to a friend. Maybe that is a more in-depth situation where you need to go get um, treatment, actual mental health treatment, right, to get to get um, well again so you can get back on the right track. And, you know, it's funny. I met a woman who trains Navy SEALs in redeveloping their mental state after combat. And she asked me, she said, Sean, how long does it take for a Navy SEAL to be rehabilitated mentally? And I was like, I have no idea. And she said, well, if they're deployed for a year and a half and they're in that type of situation and they're mentally having to process all that information for a year and a half, then a high probability is it's going to take at least a year to a year and a half. So match the amount of time that you're getting saturated with these mental injuries, and that's probably the amount of time it's going to take to, to work your way through them and heal from them so that you can move forward. So. Um, if you're in these professions, that's something to think about. You've probably seen a lot, done a lot, and chances are you've compartmentalized a lot. You put it in the back of your mind. You're not thinking about it because you're like, you know what? I don't have time to deal with that because I've got other calls to go to. I've got other things to focus on. But someday, 
you will be forced to have time. It doesn't go away. Those things are those calls are going to come back to haunt you if you don't process them as you go. If you continue to just let them compartmentalize and compartmentalize and pretend like they're not there, I'm sorry, my friend, but at some point they're going to show back up and they're going to attack and they may be overwhelming to the point. And that's what leads to, you know, high states of depression, addiction, and worst case is, you know, suicide, man. And I just wanted to be able to offer training that taught people how to how to pre-escalate these situations before they happen, especially since we know they're going to happen. Yeah, and it's a kind of a compounding effect with, uh, like you stated, you know, you're always worried about what's coming next uh, instead of taking care of yourself and getting the help you need. And it's it's the same across any any public service, like you said, military first responders, police officers, corrections, correction nurses. I mean, it's. But we never stop and be like, oh, I'll be fine tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. I've been dealing with my issues since 2005. And what are, what are we, 2023 still? Mm-hmm. And I still can't get over it. And yeah. I do have some dark moments. Um, and this is part of the reason why I started doing this is it does help with my mental health, talking to people like you. That's and good. the other thing is, too, it's like I don't think people realize first responders. We know you guys see stuff. The police officers, firefighters, paramedics, we know you, you all see stuff. It's just not out there for anybody to see, like, us veterans. We get all the help in the world, and we still have, well, they upped the number, but, you know, it was 22, but last I knew they upped it to however many suicides a day. Yeah. Um, And it's just, like, all these resources out there, and it's, like, we really need to get your guys' names out there and really need to get you guys on another level that people – because I've noticed you guys are very easy to talk to. And very, excuse me, very personable. And it's like, if we can just get you out there to a wider network and get you guys to help and get people to start reaching out, maybe the number would come down. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it will. I, I don't know how it cannot. Because if you're creating prevention measures, if you're putting prevention measures in place before the mental attack happens, then when it happens, it's a lot harder for it to really penetrate and really hurt you. Yeah, you're gonna injure, you're gonna get injured, but you know there's a difference between injury and hurt, right? We can get injured or we can be hurt to the point where, you know, we, uh, you know, where, where, where it can devastate us, man, where it can self-destruct us almost. So it's, it's super important, man, to, uh, kind of get rid of the egoic state, if you will, of, you know, I can suck it up and drive on, I'm a man, or, I'm a woman and I got to be hardcore because I'm, I'm, I'm working in these, these, um, very challenging conditions and things like that. But listen, my brothers and sisters out there, man, it, it is, it is the struggle is real. The mental ambush is real. It hits every single one of us. Chances are every single one of you that are listening to this show right now have been attacked. The crazy part is the large majority of us do not know or recognize it when it happens. Because we've never been trained to recognize it or to realize that it even occurs. We don't know, you know, unless you understand why your body is doing what it's doing or your brain is doing what it's doing or your relationships are doing what they're doing. It's really hard to identify that you've even been hit by this because a lot of times when you get hit by it in the moment, you don't think about it. You don't realize it. And it's not the critical thing in that moment because it's not physical. It's not something that you can visibly see, right? Stephen, if we get hit, right, if you get cut or shot, 
you see the injury, right? You see the blood, mm -hmm. you see the hole, you see it, right? So immediately you're thinking treatment, treatment, treatment. With a mental injury, it doesn't quite work that way, right? Because you don't see it. You might not necessarily feel it right away. So it's not as critical to you, even though it's extremely critical, because the more it builds up and the more it compartmentalizes or compounds, like you said, um, and stacks up, the harder it is to get rid of, which leads to post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Which leads to complex, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And these are preventable things. And what I'm trying to teach is preventable measures that even if you do get mentally injured, it doesn't get to a state where you are in a post-traumatic state or, you know, at least reduces it. It doesn't take it away. You're never going to get rid of it, right? You're never going to stop all suicides, obviously. But I think you're right. I think we could reduce it dramatically if we started putting the right things in place. I think you, you mentioned something briefly about relationships, too. I mean, the only reason I'm here today is because I have a wife behind me, but she went through a lot of shit, and had I not got, and I should have gotten help sooner. And I think if we get the help sooner while they're still married, there's maybe a chance to keep the marriage and maybe a chance that we'll reduce the risk of suicide, at least I'm hoping. So, so. we just created a workbook, man. It's like a, it's like a, um, a self-analysis workbook, and this is really cool because this is something that you or your spouse or you guys together, there's all, I mean, there's hundreds of different exercises in here from personality exercises to uh, different types of, uh, you know, emotional state and all, just all kinds of different stuff that really helps you to get an understanding of where you're at right now and and where you're at in your relationships right now and things like that. So that you can really get a real grasp and, and have a reality check even, right? And a lot of people don't want to go talk to somebody and things like that. And I'm like, hey, no problem. If you don't want to go talk to somebody, be willing to do something to do it. Even if you're, if you're willing to analyze yourself and, and answer some of the questions and, and do some of the exercises in this book. I mean, there are so many things that help to kind of connect dots. And then that helps you to go. Oh man, maybe this is a little bigger than I can handle. You know what? Maybe I do need to go talk to somebody and it kind of sets them on a path to, Hey, I am okay and I am in control or maybe I'm not in as much control as I thought I was. Right. And it helps our spouses as well because it gives them a better understanding of where we're at and what to look for and, and how to be better supporters to us in these times of crisis when we're dealing with the challenging things that we don't always want to bring home and talk about. Um, and you, you mentioned it's a workbook. Uh, what's the name of the workbook and where can you it's find called, it? Um, it's called Going Beyond the Call, Survive the Mental Ambush Workbook. It's that simple. It's just the, it's just the, um, it's the addition to our book. And the book is called Going Beyond the Call, uh, Mental Health Fitness for Public Safety Professionals. And then this is just a book that goes with it. It's a workbook and the okay. two just playing together. All right, awesome. Yeah, definitely. It's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Um, if you type in uh, Sean, S-E-A-N, and then Wyman, W-Y-M-A-N on Amazon, you can find it. Awesome. Uh, did you write another book, too, or is it just those two? I did, man. I did. My first book, it was called um, Let Go the Movement Process, and that one's more of a personal, uh, my personal story, and then more importantly, kind of how I got through that, man, How I how I figured out years later down the road how to let it go how to how to address it let it go and be able to move forward from it so i could live the way i was really meant to live nice yeah 
I need to get your books down. I, need, I definitely need that damn workbook, honestly. I need to see where I'm at right now. And there's some great things in here, man. Like, I mean, like just flipping through it, there's like relationship management. There's stuff about different beliefs and cognitive dissonance. There's, um, there's communicating, uh, like communication exercises that you can do. Every man needs that. Yeah. There's, uh, there's all kind, there's, uh, investigative psychology where you can kind of investigate different things going on. Uh, we talk about fight, flight, freeze, and, and kind of like what your mental state is when you're in a high crisis situation. You know, I mean, just, I mean, there's so much in there, man. My partner, D, she gets all the credit for that. She did such an amazing job putting that book together. And she worked with psychologists and social workers and, and people that we don't want to talk to, but they gave us a lot of input on how to put this together so that um, people that, even though they may not want to talk to them, they could still have some influence in, in how to help them, if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's, that's actually really good to hear all, all the stuff you told me today. Um, how, but how can people get a hold of you or find you? Okay. So the best way, obviously I'm on social media, Sean Wyman. If you type Sean Wyman into Google, you can find me. I'm out there. Um, you can go to, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, info at goingbeyondthecall.com. That's our email. Um, you can contact me at 850-508-1522. That's the direct number to me. You can contact me. I'm a, you know, I'm a phone call away, man. If you have a question and look, I have helped a lot of people in crisis that didn't know what to do, man. They were just in a bad moment and needed resources, needed, needed me. Now, look, I'm not a counselor. I don't claim to be a mental health counselor or anything like that. I'm just really good at connecting dots and helping people to find the resources and getting them the things that they need and and helping to make an impact. I'm peer support certified, so I do have that background. But um, you know, I'm, more importantly, man, I'm just all about connecting dots and helping people to find the resources. And there's some great resources in Texas over there where you're at, man, Oklahoma. Um, there's some some great connections over there for people that are dealing with addiction, depression, suicidal thoughts, all that kind of stuff. And and you know, the, the hardest part is the recognition, right? Recognizing that it's going on and then realizing that you need help, you know, and it's a, it's a difficult thing, man, especially when we've been raised in a profession that taught us to, to, you know, to, you know, muscle up, man, to, to suck it up and drive on. We got to carry on with the mission no matter what. And the truth is, no matter how tough we are, at some point, man, that mental injury will come back to bite you. Unfortunately, it comes back to bite way too many and every single day. You wouldn't by chance know the statistics for, uh, police officers, would you, for suicide? So it depends. Like, I mean, over the last few years, I mean, it's gone from 250 something and it's actually gone down quite a bit since COVID. And I believe part of that is because there's been such a sense of purpose since COVID with, you know, like law enforcement in particular has had such a sense of purpose that they they're not focused in that way right because we're busy and our brains are going but i think as covid and you look at the time and what's going on you i think we're going to start to see them rise again and compared to in the line of duty deaths overall besides covid suicide was still the top uh the the, the top thing that killed law enforcement last year in 2022 so besides COVID, COVID killed more, obviously, but, um, so it's a scary thing, man. It's a scary thing. All right. 
but it's a preventable thing. That's the most important thing. I shouldn't I shouldn't leave it on that note because even though it is scary, it's very preventable and it's it's treatable and it doesn't matter where you're at, whether you're at the beginning stages of it or you're deep into it and you feel like there's no way out. Um a good friend of mine named Tony Kane always told me where there's breath there's hope and if you're still breathing, there's an opportunity. Yeah, I'm I'm still here so there's definitely hope. So There you go. But that is all we have time for today with Sean uh, on this episode of Swandingo Files. If you Google him and you look for his picture, just look. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough, but with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep swanding going.